All right, let's set this up once again. Uh, as we wrap this up, I want to make sure we know what we're talking about through this series. And it all started with Jesus. And Jesus was arrested. And Jesus was crucified. And Jesus was buried. But the miracle of the story is three days later, he rose from the dead. And then Jesus took a handful of his doubting disciples and he told them, he said, listen, I, Jesus, have all power and all authority and I am with you wherever you go. And he said, I want to use you because I, Jesus, have the power and authority. I want to use you to transform the world and I'm going to do it through my power working through you. Jesus said in John 20, he said, I am sending you. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples. See, Jesus was telling his disciples, he was telling us, I want you to live on mission. I want you to go rescue people. I want you to go save people. In other words, Jesus said, I want to use you to transform the world. I want to use you, and that's Jesus' message to us today. I want to use you to transform the world. Those doubting disciples who had been transformed by the resurrection of Jesus, we talked about this a few weeks ago. They went out into the streets of Jerusalem. They proclaimed Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he was alive as well. And, and, and then Luke tells us in Acts, that's where we're going to be today in Acts, Luke tells us about 3,000 people embrace that message, that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that they receive Jesus as their Savior. Those 3,000 then did what the, the, the original disciples did. They began sharing that message, the good news about Jesus that transformed them. And so you had in the beginning of the church, you had this earliest church that was totally outward focused. It was totally and completely on mission to go and rescue and save people. But eventually, over time, this movement that was all about mission, that was all about passion and loving others and accepting people and sharing the good news about Jesus. Over time, and we don't have time to get into the history of all this, but over time, this totally outward-focused movement began to turn inward. It began to turn inward. And when a church or when the church as a whole universally, when churches individually, when they begin to turn inward, a few things happen. First of all, people get hurt. A lot of people get hurt. People get burned. And we lose sight of the mission that Jesus has called us to. The mission of Jesus ends up suffering. Then what happens? People have been hurt, been burned. We lose sight of the mission Jesus gave us. Next thing you know, people find themselves saying, I've been hurt, I've been burned, forget it. I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to have anything to do with church or religion or God. And maybe some of you have been there before. Maybe some of you are on the edge of that now. Maybe you know people who, who have been there or who are there. They said, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And why did that happen? Well, because the church got so inward focused and lost sight of what God has called us to. Because when I read the book of Acts that Luke wrote, that early church, they were on mission. So they just loved each other and they shared with one another and they took care of one another and they purposefully, intentionally were on mission and reached out to others to invite them in to what God was doing. And it was incredible and it was amazing. And as a result of that, the church grew and it grew big quickly. 
Jesus told us, go make disciples. And so the church, universal, the church individually, the church life point, should always strive to be outsider-oriented. And when life point is outsider-oriented and on mission, the church is dynamic. And it's an incredible environment to be a part of when you are a part of the heart of God and what matters to God. Those who don't know Him yet, who God uses us to bring them into a relationship to God. And it's dynamic and it's powerful. And you know what else it is? It's fun to be a part of a church like that watching God work. Now, one of the ways you know whether or not a church is actually on mission, one of the ways you know that if a church is actually on track with the heart of God, one of the ways you know is how a church prays or how an individual prays. In fact, how a church prays or how people pray indicate whether the church or whether people have strayed. How a church prays, how we pray, indicate if we have strayed from the heart and the mission that God has given us. So our prayers indicate, are we on mission with God and, on, and, and a part of the heart of God? Now, I want you to, for a moment, begin to think about your prayers this last week or the last month. What is it that you've been praying about? Now, there are certainly exceptions, but my guess is typically, as American Christians, we typically pray for ourselves, right? We typically pray for ourselves. We, we pray for our family. Uh, we might pray for a sick person or two or three. We're praying for us. And actually, the reality is, when we begin to think about our prayers, maybe over the last week, the last month, or the last year, Sometimes our prayers can be kind of a little bit absurd, right? I mean, I think it's worth evaluating that a little bit here. For the most part, we pray for things that are going to happen anyways. That isn't going to really tax, you know, the, the power or the energy of God. For example, one of the things we pray, and, and this is something I pray, I still pray this. You probably pray this all the time, right? We pray, God, give me a safe trip. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you've ever prayed. I'm, I'm not even picking on that, but, but we'll pray, God, give me a safe trip. And I just wonder, is God, when we pray, God, give me a safe trip, is God just sitting there thinking to himself, all right, sure, sure, I mean, how about you buckle your seatbelt and drive the speed limit and you'll probably be good, right? I, I just wonder if God's going, Divine intervention for a safe trip? Again, I think it's a good prayer. I pray it all the time. Keep praying it. Or what about this one? God, uh, you know, thank you for this day. God, give me a good day. And I, and I just wonder, is God going, I, I know, I know, I know, you're thankful for the day and you want to have a good day, but I just wonder, is God saying and asking us, can you pray for something bigger? Can you pray for something more important? Can you pray something that will, that, you know, try me, test me, see if there's something that I can really get involved in? My, my, my concern as, as your friend, as your pastor, as a fellow believer, my concern is that when a bunch of people are all praying self-centered prayers for the most part, when we're praying self-centered prayers for the most part, the danger is that we will then become a self-centered church, self-centered Christians. 
our prayers indicate. Whether or not we're on par with Jesus' mission or whether or not we've strayed from Jesus' mission for us to go and make disciples. Our prayer is an indication of that. I imagine there's some here this morning. You look inside and you say, man, I want to be something, part of something big. I want to be part of a movement of God. I want to see the hand of God in my, mouth, my life. I want, to, I want to be a part of something that's bigger than self. So I think God's challenge for us this morning is he is inviting every single one of us to pray big and bold prayers that are on mission and are in line with the heart of God for those who are far from God. Craig Gershell, who is a pastor, an author, and, and one of our key speakers at our Global Leadership Summit this year that, that we as a church are hosting, he has what he calls morning declarations. He has a handful of these morning declarations that he says every single morning when he gets out of bed. One of those, I'll just read you a couple of them. I'm not going to read them all, but one of them he says this to give you an example of his morning declarations. He says, I wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. That's a great way to wake up and make that statement. Another one, he says this every morning. He says, I bring my best every day and then some. And so that's kind of the flavor of what he does. And I, and I thought about those, and, and I've been really thinking about that myself and praying about, you know what, I, I want to have some morning declarations. What if one of our morning declaration statements was something like this? I pray big, bold prayers every single day that are on mission and in line with the heart of God for those who are far from him. Imagine if that was one of your morning declarations. Luke told us that's exactly what the early church did. They prayed big and bold prayers. In fact, last week, we saw that they were continually devoted to this. Remember the verse, if you were here, if you weren't, I encourage you to go back and listen to the message or watch the message. In Acts 2.42, it says these new disciples, all these people who came to Jesus, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that word continually devoted, we wanted to kind of just put a word into your head to think about it, and so we gave you the Greek word for that. So let's see if we can do it again together today. I'm not going to say it first. We're just going to one time try it and see if we butcher it or we do it semi-right. Uh, it's on the screen. We're going to say the word together out loud. Okay, let's just try it. One, two, three. <laughs> that wasn't bad, actually. Uh, I was at the gym this week, and, and a couple of the people who were here, they were actually greeting me with that word, and I was like, man, that's incredible. How are you doing? Like, I have to look at the word and go, proscatareo, proscatareo. I have to say it like 10 times. They were continually devoted, and as a result, the church kept growing. The church was outward-focused. They were on mission to make disciples. And what I want to do this morning is, we looked at three of them last week, what they were prescatereo to. They were continually devoted. And the one we, we glanced over was, they were continually devoted to prayer. And so I want to talk about that with the remainder of our time this morning. And I want to see how they prayed in Acts 4. 
And I want us to see their outward-focused prayer, how they were on mission. So you can turn right now to Acts 4. We'll get there eventually. Let me kind of set the scene for us because I want us to get into the scene a little bit so that you will maybe really feel where they were at as a group of people and see how that might be the same as us or different. So what's the story? We remember Jesus died, buried, resurrected, came back, saw his disciples. 120 of those disciples then went out in the streets of Jerusalem. Peter preached. 3,000 people gave their life to Christ that day. We've already talked about that. Then after that, Peter and John, they're there in the temple, and they see this guy who couldn't walk. And everybody knew he couldn't walk. He's never been able to walk. They have a conversation with him. They heal this guy who had never walked. People are curious about this, fascinated by this, what's going on. Peter then dives into another conversation, another talk about Jesus. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, the Bible tells us that a whole bunch of people respond to the message again. And Acts 4 verse 4 tells us, by this time, the church has now grown to 5,000 men. So I want you to think, 120 people, you know, 12 apostles, 120 disciples or so, 3,000. And now you have 5,000 men. I don't know how many you think that is, but my guess, 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people who are now in Christ. The people in charge of the temple, they've been watching this, and they've been watching this movement that they tried to stamp out by killing Jesus. They've been watching it grow and grow and grow, and they're hanging out in our temple and preaching Jesus. And so they grab Peter and John, and they say, stop preaching about this stuff, and they put them in jail. Now, pause for a moment. They put them in jail. What happened the last time one of their very own was arrested? Okay, who was it? You're in Jesus. What happened to Jesus, right? And so now you can imagine Peter and John, what they're thinking. Imagine these 10 or 15,000 believers thinking, oh my goodness, they're in jail right now. Uh-oh. So their brains must have been going crazy at this point. The next morning, they bring them out. Remember, Jesus had a sham trial. They think, okay, now we're going to get our sham trial. Peter stands up in front of them, and he begins to speak again. And as Peter speaks, he tells them again about Jesus And he tells who Jesus is, and he launches into Jesus being the Son of God, and you guys have crucified him. He's risen from the dead. And he concludes it in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts 4, verse 12. Notice what Peter said. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, he's talking about Jesus, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. To which we might even think, I know people who don't believe in Jesus would think, that's pretty narrow. Isn't it? Really? It's the only way? And these religious leaders, you know, maybe, maybe even the Jewish believers might have thought, Peter, tone it down a little bit. I mean, come on, Peter. What about, you know, Jesus is a good guy with good teaching. And what about Moses? He's good. And Abraham, why don't you kind of include that? I mean, Peter, John, you just set, spent the night in jail for talking about Jesus and, and saying all this kind of stuff. But Peter had been transformed by a resurrected Jesus. So Peter now boldly declares to his captors, salvation only comes to you when you embrace Jesus. It's the only way you can be saved. There's no other name by which you can be saved. Well, you can imagine this ticks off the leaders, right? So it goes on from there, verse 13. 
When they saw the what? When they saw, let's say this word together, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Courage? Remember before a resurrected Jesus, the courage of Peter, what was, his, what was his courage? What was Peter? He was a coward. Denied Jesus three times. But the resurrected Jesus had transformed him. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. Remember the guy they healed, the guy that they knew all about, that had been there forever and could never walk. They're like, man, this is, this is walking proof. They're talking about Jesus and all his power and all this, and we're seeing this guy. What can we do? So they say to Peter and John, listen, and you can imagine everybody who was there, what's going to be the verdict, the last verdict with our leader Jesus? Crucifixion. They say to Peter and John, listen, we got this guy here. There's nothing we can do. They're like, okay. We're going to let you guys go. But don't come in here anymore with this ridiculous teaching about Jesus. Don't keep talking about him. Don't say he's the only way to salvation. And please, please, please stop saying that we're the ones who killed him. Quit blaming us. So they, send, they get ready to send him off. If you're Peter, what do you say at that point? Keep in mind, Peter just spent the night in jail. What do you say if you're Peter? Notice what he says to them. He's like, sorry, verse uh, 20, Acts 4. Sorry, but we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Talk about pretty gutsy. Talk about pretty bold. After further threats, they let him go. Peter and John then go find everybody, and, and, and they breathe a sigh of relief because we know what happened to Jesus. Luke tells us what happens next. They pray. Why do they pray? Because Acts 2.42, proscatareo, they were devoted continually to prayer. Now, before we look at this prayer, I want you to imagine for a moment, put your, there is a story, put yourself in this story right now. Imagine for a moment, keep in mind, so let's take this example, keep in mind, this is a brand new church. It's a brand new church the night before your senior pastor and your associate pastor have been arrested. And you know what happened last time, what happened to Jesus. You're a brand new church, senior pastor, senior leader. The guys in charge of the whole thing have been arrested. Luckily, they didn't end up crucified like Jesus. So how would you pray right now in this moment? What would your prayer be? Now, I got to tell you, I already know how most American Christians would pray and what they would pray for next. Everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. And the first thing they would say is, thank you, Jesus, for saving us. God, we ask for and we pray for protection. Right? Come on. Be real. Think about your own lives for a second. God, bless us. God, keep us safe. Protect us. Give us a hedge of protection. And I got to tell you, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I've been a Christian since July 3rd, 1983. I still have no idea what a hedge of protection is. I just don't. I don't know. I mean, I hear people pray this prayer, and, and I'm not picking on you if you've prayed it. Maybe you come up to me afterwards, tell me what a hedge of protection is. American Christians are all about praying for safety and protection. God, just cover us. God, watch over us. Put a dome around us. Put a helmet on us. Put a chip on us so we always know where everybody is. And I know we don't chuckle at that because it's too close to the truth. Keep us safe. 
Give us hedges and traveling mercies, whatever that one is. And again, if we pray that, it's all good. We, we, we pray those. But that's not how they prayed. How did those who were on mission pray? How did they pray the first church? Because they had been transformed by Jesus, because they were continually devoted, they prayed big and bold prayers. So let's look at it. Acts 4, verse 24. Listen as we look at this big and bold prayers. When they heard this, this whole story about Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They said, Sovereign Lord, you've made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. They said, before we even ask anything, we're recognizing God. We know who you are. We know who we are in light of who you are. We know nothing happens, God, outside of you. You're God. And then in the next couple of verses, they acknowledge the sovereignty of God. They're like, hey, God, we understand you predicted the Savior Jesus would come. You predicted that he would die on a cross. You predicted all that. You decided ahead of time. Ahead of time. In other words, we know you're sovereign. Nothing happens outside of, of you knowing this. You're in control, even the things that don't look good to us. God, you're still in control. And then comes their prayer request. Here's what they asked for, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Let's read it together. He says, now, Lord, consider their threat. And here's the request. Consider their threats and put a hedge of protection around us and give us traveling mercies. <laughs> Is that what they prayed for? Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great what? I want to say it together. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. boldness. Okay, time out. Hold on here for a second. Boldness is what created the problem in the first place, right? Boldness is what landed Peter and John in jail. Boldness is what created this whole antagonistic spirit between us and our, and our community leader and our religious leaders. From my 21st century perspective, these guys are already pretty bold. I mean, They've been arrested because of being a Christian. Boldness doesn't look like the problem. Here's my question for you. Do you actually pray for boldness? I mean, I really. Do you pray for boldness? Is it even in our 21st century vocabulary for us as Jesus followers to ask God to give us boldness? Notice, to ask God to give us boldness for what? To speak his word. In other words, to speak his word verbally, to, to speak his word in our workplace, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. Are you continually devoted, Prescottereo, continually devoted to asking God, to praying, to asking God to enable you to use his word appropriately and to speak it boldly? The first century believers, they just... They weren't praying for hedges and traveling mercies. And they just weren't. But they prayed on mission. Bold prayers so they could speak boldly in the name of Jesus. And they went on. I want you to see this incredible boldness. Check it out. They asked for something that was bold in their prayers because they were big, bold prayers. Acts 4 verse 30 says this. They said to God, God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Wow. And I just want to ask you, imagine with me, what if 
What if, what if you, I, us collectively begin to pray that way? Seriously, what would begin to happen if we begin to pray, God, stretch out your hand, do something that my unbelieving friends, that, that do something among my anti-church friends, do something with my friends who've been burned by church or by religion. God, do something among my friends who are so intellectually smart, I don't know how to hang with them with my own intellect. But God, would you be willing to stretch out your hand and do something unusual in their lives? Imagine if that became our prayer. That's what the first century believers were asking for. They were asking for God to go into their circumstances, into their situations. They were outsider focused. They weren't focused on self and self prayers. They were focused on what God can do in them and through them to reach those who are far, far from God. Imagine, imagine, imagine. If LifePoint started praying this way, if you started praying this day, this way, you said, God, today, this day, God, give me boldness to see the opportunities. Give me boldness to take the opportunities. God, I'm not a bold person, but would you fill me with courage and strength and boldness? God, would you stretch out your hand and do something in my sphere of influence that I have that would just blow people away, people who've written you off, people who have no interest in you. God, would you work in me and through me, give me boldness for you to reach them with your saving message of Jesus Christ. I'm just asking you, what would happen if we all started praying this way? I can tell you what will happen when you start praying for boldness and you start praying for miracles. Here's what I can tell you. God will show up in your life in new ways, fresh ways, incredible ways. The Spirit of God, God a relationship with God will come alive to you in ways that you have never seen if you get committed and serious about actually being devoted to praying for those who are far from God and not just praying for ourselves, God will show up and he'll do miracles in our lives when our prayers are on mission. Notice Acts chapter 4, verse 31. What was the result? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Something supernatural occurred. It was like God was putting his stamp on their prayer, saying, I approve of these prayers. I, I'm a, I love this. I love that you're on mission. I love that you have my heart. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And look how God answered their prayer. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. What's the word? They spoke the word of God boldly. Here's the reality. The way you pray, the way I pray, is an indication of where our hearts are. What you're praying about will tell you where your heart is. If your heart's on mission, if my heart's on mission, if my heart and your heart is in line with the heart of God. So here's what I'm asking. Here's what I believe God is asking for us. To add to our prayers. I'm not saying don't keep praying for the things you're praying for, the things that I'm kind of making light of. Keep praying for all that. That's okay, you can do that. But how about you add to your prayers, God, give me boldness. God, stretch out your hand. Do something in my life, in the life of those around me that lets them know that you are God. Use me, God. I want to be on mission. God, I want to be a part of your movement of transforming lives. Because I can tell you, God wants to answer that prayer 
When your prayers are on mission, when your prayers are in line with the heart of God, God will move and God will act. So I want to make this super practical for us this morning. I want to invite you to pray and to pray boldly and to pray boldly for one, one person. Pray for them. Pray for an opportunity for you specifically to boldly share the good news of Jesus into their lives. So I'm asking you to pray for one for 30 days. Not just one time this morning. I'm asking you to be continually devoted, Prescottoreo, for 30 days. To pray for one. One for 30. One for 30. Pray for one for 30 days. One for 30. I want to say it together. Okay? One for 30. One, two, three. One for 30. Say it again. One for 30. One more time. One for 30. To be continually devoted to praying for one for 30 days. Now, here's how I'd like to see that broken down. That your one would be this. One friend, one neighbor, and one unknown. One friend, one neighbor, and one unknown. That you would boldly pray for a friend of yours who doesn't know Jesus. That you would boldly pray for one of your neighbors who doesn't know Jesus. And you would boldly pray for an opportunity with someone you're not thinking about or know, not right now, but God's going to have you cross their path and wants to use you in their lives. You pray for one for 30 days. And again, I ask you, imagine, imagine if we are committed to that. Imagine what the atmosphere would be at LifePoint on a weekly basis. There would be this overwhelming sense of hospitality here. There would be this overwhelming sense of a welcoming spirit here. We've always said that everybody counts and everybody matters. We don't want to just say it. We actually want to mean that. And there would be this overwhelming sense of God is doing something and our faith and, and, and what's happening here would be more real than ever. Why? Because you're praying for one for 30. And all of a sudden, they say, I want to come to church with you, or you invite them, and they say yes. You've been inviting them for years and years of Christmas, Easter, whatever it is, and they never came. I'm just asking the question, have you actually committed to praying for them? And now you've committed, and God's like, I want to move, and I want to act in that prayer. And they say yes. And when you bring that friend, or you're going to meet them here, What's going through your mind? What are you hoping happens at LifePoint? There's a few things you're hoping. You're hoping they're greeted. You're hoping they're, hoping they're welcomed. You're hoping that someone says hi to them. You're hoping that the music's going to be good, that the, you know, the message is going to be good. You're hoping if they have kids or students or, or you know, teenagers or whatever, you're hoping that they are, are going to have an incredible experience in that environment. You are hoping that, they, that it's so phenomenal here, the love and support and care and share, that you're hoping that they'll be able to hear the message of Jesus that Jesus saves them and wants to have a relationship with them. That's what you're hoping for. And because now you're thinking about it and you're praying for it regularly and they come in the environment, all of a sudden, you know what happens? Because you're thinking about that, all of a sudden you pay attention in a whole new light. For those of you who've brought people, invited people, you know what I'm talking about. Because all of a sudden you've never paid attention to a greeter before, but now all of a sudden you're paying attention to what they do. You've never paid attention to signage before because you know where the bathrooms are. You know where the kids' ministry is. You know where the auditorium you, you never paid attention before. But now all of a sudden you're like, well, geez, I'm glad. Oh, that's good. We have a good sign. We have all of a sudden you're like, I hope their ushers are polite and kind. Don't just say, get down here, go find that seat. Good luck. 
You're like, oh man, all of a sudden you're even listening to the message in a different way. See what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, you, here's, here's the switch. Here's the power of this and where God does, starts doing the signs and wonders and miracles among us. You're now aware of this. And there's literally, it's like you'll pay attention, but all of a sudden something happens in your brain to where you realize, oh my goodness, I want everybody else to do that for my friend that I'm praying for, my family member that I'm doing that for. And here's what happens to you. You go, oh, and God wants to use me too to help somebody else who's been praying for their one. Do you just catch what I said? All of a sudden you realize your role in everybody else's one. And all of a sudden, we're all doing that and paying attention and aware, and the church is dynamic. And LifePoint's incredible. This is, you're an incredible group of people, and, and, and I love our church. And I'm just wondering, imagine how much more God wants to work and God wants to act when we all get on mission. And we're all a part of it. And man, LifePoint comes alive, and God's work comes alive in a powerful way, and God changes us and changes other people, and it's exciting and it's fun. And we're saying God's doing signs and wonders among us. That's what begins to happen. Because you realize, oh, today is somebody's first Sunday, or second or third. And their willingness to hear the message of God or even come back. It's going to be impacted by what happens here. And you're like, I'm going to do my part. So when I say at the end of the service, find somebody you don't know, all of a sudden you hear that differently. You're like, oh, man, I, I really should. Because there might be somebody, it's their first day, and I might be the one that God uses. Who's your one? Who's your one friend? Your one neighbor? Your one unknown that you're going to pray for for 30 days? <laughs> 